According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in the book of Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 1. If any government officials want copies of my sermon notes, they can, uh, they can have them. Don't hide anything we do here. Anything we preach is uh, posted on the website. Interesting, the day and age in which we live and different aspects there. All right. Proverbs chapter 1, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like shale, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in their way with them. Keep your feet from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives or their own soul. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. All right, so this is where we are, Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 19. Before we begin our study this morning, let's take time for silent prayer, giving each believer priest the opportunity to confess anything needs to be confessed. Make sure you're restored to fellowship, walking in the light, and then humble under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, once again, this is our blessing to assemble today. We thank you for your faithfulness to provide, to keep the bills paid, the lights on, the doors open. Father, we uh, rejoice in how faithful you are day by day and moment by moment. Father, now at this time, we call upon your faithfulness once again as your word goes forth, that it will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it that includes this message on this day, Father. Accomplish your good pleasure. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty, working our way through, we are in the midst of our chapter 1 outline, Proverbs chapter 1 outline, main point 1 was Solomon, son of David, main point 2, the Proverbs of Solomon, main point 3, how did Solomon begin, began by explaining what the book of Proverbs will do and how to get started, leaving us now in main point 4, the fourth point of study in the process of outlining Proverbs chapter 1. Parents must instill divine norms and standards into their children. Pack it in there. Shove it in there. (laughs) right? And keep shoving it. Parents must instill divine norms and standards into their children because other influences of life, the other influences of life are deadly. It will cost them their own soul. They ambush their own lives in verse 18. It takes away the life of its possessors in verse 19. It is a matter of their soul. And uh, it's vital that we uh, dress them appropriately. We teach them how to get dressed when they're little toddlers. They learn how to put clothes on themselves. Uh, We need to do the same thing spiritually speaking. Teach them how to adorn themselves with the Word of God. As we see in verse 8, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about 
your neck. Are you wearing doctrine today? You know, uh, might be uh, worth asking. If we ask, you know, did you brush your teeth this morning? Are you wearing clean underwear? You know, just different things. You're teaching your toddler how to get dressed. Are you wearing your doctrine today? Are you in the Word of God? Did you read a verse this morning? What, what uh, Bible passage are you in? Teaching how to put these ornaments about their necks. Hear and do not forsake is how it got started. The imperative to Shema, the Hebrew verb Shema, number 8085, to hear and listen and obey. Hear and do not forsake. It's not enough to hear it. You've got to live it, and you've got to live it for the rest of your life. If you ever walk away from the Word of God, um, none of the rest of this matters. You are forsaking truth. The adornment of wisdom pictures the favor of a king in bestowing his favor. This is the best blessing we can bestow. We, um, in the teen class, we've been going through in, in the early chapters of Genesis and dealing with the blessing that Isaac tried to bestow upon Esau. In fact, he thought he was successful in bestowing the blessing upon Esau because Jacob had gone in there all in disguise and everything and Isaac couldn't see. And um, he thought by the end of it that he was successful in blessing Esau, in defying the will of God by blessing the older son, even though he'd been told that the older would serve the younger. And then uh, Jacob escapes out of there and the real Esau comes in and the, the, the jig was up, as, as we say. Uh, immediately, I, Isaac knew that he'd been hoodwinked and knew that that uh, he had blessed the son that God intended him to bless, the younger son. Um, but this is what we think about when we think about passages like that. We think about a blessing from parents to children and what it is that we pass to the next generation. What is our legacy? What is it that we provide? Is it, is it wealth? Is it uh, college education? Is it, what is it that we, that we bestow upon the next generation? It's the truth of the Word of God. It is the blessings of wisdom that we instill upon them because they see it lived out in our lives. Not just the preaching at them, but the example we set, that we are living our lives consistently with the word that's preached, that we are holding ourselves to the same standard that we are instilling within them. And so the imagery of a king who dresses somebody with a robe, who dresses somebody who puts a ring on their finger, uh, as in the case of Belteshazzar, in the case of Daniel, um, this is what we're doing. Okay, I don't have uh, fortunes to bestow upon. Uh, you know, my my dukedom is a little bit thin as far as uh, what uh, I'm going to pass on to my children. All right, but I'm going to dress them in a robe of purple. I'm going to put a ring on their finger. And it's the adornment of doctrine. It's the adornment of wisdom from the Word of God that will be their legacy in uh, in their generation. This adornment is the inner beauty of the New Testament that we took some time to look at last week as well. 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. And uh, we want to make sure that not just our young people, us too, (laughs) we don't lose sight of the difference between inner beauty and outer beauty, that we identify the real issues of life and how uh, we appear before the Lord. Enticements require consent, so don't give it. Proverbs 1.10, and I meant to add to that, uh, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Uh, Romans chapter 6 that we dealt with in our Romans series. Uh, other passages that you can add to this slide related to the volition that's required. If you sin, it is your fault. You made that choice. Uh, Romans uh, 5.12 would be the reference there. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. You are commanded not to let that happen. 
And uh, every sin you've ever committed is your fault because you made those choices. You failed to walk by means of the Spirit. You failed to be led by the Spirit. You failed to, uh, you, you grieved the Spirit, you quenched the Spirit, you resisted the Spirit. No wonder you went carnal, all right? You weren't listening to the Holy Spirit. We have the promises we're going to see coming up in Galatians that if you walk by means of the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh during the time that you are walking by means of the Spirit. Stay tuned for that coming up in Galatians chapter 5. If you want it, just to throw it in your notes today. I think it's verse 13, but let me double check that. Nope, it's not verse 13. Walk by means of the flesh, uh, by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 16, there it is, Galatians 5, 16. Walk by means of the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It's as simple as that. That's why I think it's the, the first doctrine I ever want to teach. If somebody just got saved this morning, I want to teach them 1 John 1, nine. I want to take them to confession of sin. I want to teach them how to, the, the difference between being in fellowship and out of fellowship. The, what, what I learned as a kid, top circle, bottom circle. And start learning that I'm never getting out of that top circle. I'm eternally saved. I'm eternally secure. I'm placed in Christ. There's no way out of that. But although I'm in Christ, I may not always be in fellowship. And that bottom circle then becomes important. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Am I in fellowship? Has sin placed me out of fellowship? In which case, how do I get back in? How do I confess my sins? How am I restored to fellowship so that I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness, so that I can walk in the light, so that I can fulfill Galatians 5 and uh, not fulfill the other part of Galatians 5, all right? I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to exhibit the deeds of the flesh, both of which are in Galatians 5. Enticements require consent, so don't give it. Just say no, right? Just say it's the old Nancy Reagan bit. Don't just say no, okay? Or stop it. If you've ever seen the the stop it video from uh, Bob Newhart, all right? Stop it. Just stop it. And it's as simple as that, okay? If you haven't seen it, Google it or send me an email and I'll send you a link. Enticements require consent. My son, if sinners entice you, I would want to reword that, when sinners entice you, okay? Because it's going to happen, that's what sinners do. Do not consent. Do not consent. Say, no, I'm not doing that. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause. Say, well, that's kind of a ridiculous temptation. Who would ever fall for that? Well, you'd be surprised. This is the nature of the un civilized, barbaric uh, world, okay? And folks that don't realize we live in a world like that are uh, deluding themselves. They, uh, we're going to see much more of that, I think, in the coming days because that's the direction our, our culture is going. That's the direction our nation is going. You say, I thought peer pressure was just all about drinking and drugs and smoking and sex and that kind of stuff. The idea that that peer pressure is going to lure me into a life of violence and bloodshed and murder and plunder? No, that's not... See, wait a minute. I believe our nation is headed that direction. It already is in, in many segments of our culture. In certain zip codes in town, that's a way of life. It's all about violence. It's all about take what you want and who cares who gets hurt in the process, who dies in the process. And that is spreading to more and more segments of our, uh, of our society. All right. Point D now. The blood-shedding mindset has easy money in view. 
easy money in view. And maybe some folks wouldn't consider it under normal circumstances, but then they start doing the cost-benefit analysis. Oh man, look at that, it's easy money. Easy money. And, and we can't get caught anyway. Who's going to know? Easy money in view, but fails to see the self-harm consequences. Sin never considers the consequences. In the, in the insanity of sin, there are no consequences. In the insanity of sin, you can get away with everything because no one sees anything. There is no God. I am my own God. And so it doesn't matter if I steal, if I uh, fornicate, if I murder, or whatever I do, never mind the consequences, okay? It's like drunk driving. No one ever thinks about the consequences that you drink, you drive, you kill somebody, you spend the rest of your life in jail. All right. See, carnality never considers consequences. The bloodshedding mindset has easy money in view, but fails to see the self-harm consequences. And this is uh, really takes us down through verse 19, 11 through 19. It's a concept that comes back again in chapter 6, Proverbs 6, 17. There are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. If your carnality has reached the point where murder and, and physical harm are, I mean, how, how deeply have you plunged? A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. That's the, the first thing they think about. That's where they run to. Isaiah 59, verses 2 through 8. We're going to have this coming up in our Isaiah series, this concept. Isaiah 59, verses 2 through 8. The idea of bloodshed is significant. Why? Because life is in the blood. Blood is indicative of uh, the Father's good pleasures, the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. It's the issue of blood that's significant. And when you attack the image of God, the idea of taking man's life by man, your life must be shed. That's a requirement. Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. This is, this is all that carnality tells you about. That God's not paying attention. He can't hear you anyway. He's not answering your prayers. And he's really kind of impotent. His arm is so short. It's not like he can solve my problems. He, see, here's the, the, the lies. Okay? It's not true. You want to know why your prayers aren't being answered? It's not because he can't hear. It's not because God got hard of hearing all of a sudden. Here's the issue. The issue is you're in carnality. You're walking in darkness. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your iniquities. Now, this isn't an unbeliever who needs to get saved. This is a believer who's walking in darkness. Your God. You belong to that God, but you have uh, put these uh, sins in place, and now he's not listening to you anymore. Um, that's why we call it operational death. Remember, death is a separation, and there's the separation right there. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood. 
your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. It's all about your rebellion. So repent, confess, get back in fellowship, be restored to fellowship. Then start noticing what happens to your prayer life. Verse 4, no one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. In other words, their personal sin patterns have now spilled over into public life and it's affecting their business dealings. It's affecting how they use the the law system to get what they want. They'll they'll do unrighteous lawsuits to, to steal. They will pervert the justice system by pleading um, dishonestly. Trust in confusion and speak lies. It sounds like politics right there, doesn't it? They conceive mischief. They conceive... What does it use sex terms here, right? Pregnancy terms. It uses um, childbirth terms. Well, so does the New Testament. It talks about sin and the conception of sin and the birthing of sin. They conceive mischief. In other words, they're, they're way ahead of things. They're, they're planning sins nine months out and further, right? Down the road. Conceive mischief, bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. I think they can, right? They're going to have the, the same success that Adam and Eve had with the fig leaves, Okay? You might create a cover for yourself. You're not hiding anything. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. There it is, the speed again, the readiness again. And uh, they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace. What's bizarre is many of these people are doing these things in the name of peace. They're doing these things. Think about how much carnality is pursued because people have no happiness, no peace, no joy in their life. And they think that all the, uh, the sin in the world will provide that for them. They do not know the way of peace. There is no justice in their tracks. But they have made their paths crooked. And whoever treads on them does not know peace. So here's issues. And we'll be dealing with this. We'll get to this point here in Isaiah 59. When this becomes endemic, when it becomes characteristic of an entire culture or society, you realize that uh, your nation is in the final cycles there of, uh, of discipline. In any event, back to Proverbs 1 now, and we see this. And they want, they want uh, Solomon to take part with them, right? David and Bathsheba. They want their son to take part in them. Why do they want the good kids to take part in them? Why don't they just leave us alone and go do what they're going to do? You ever wonder that? Why? I mean, they've got plenty of people already. Let us come with us. We're doing this. What's wrong with you? Why are you not a part of us yet? Well, it's the nature of satanic uh, uh, evil. It always is looking to pervert others. Always making excuses. Always uh, accusing and excusing. And always getting others to give the hearty approval along with them. As per uh, Romans chapter 1. Alright. Um, they have the easy money in view. Hey, you know what? This is great. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. 
Man, do you know the kind of money you can make with this? Do you realize? All kinds of wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. We're going to have so much, we won't know what to do with it. You realize how easy this is? Come on. I mean, you'd be, you'd be a fool not to take part. Don't be stupid. This is easy money. Throw, your, throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. <laughs> and that's something. You know, I, I, even, even in Satan's lies, even in cosmic wisdom, you can still observe what he's perverting. You can still observe the truth of God's system. You can still observe the truth of God's design. In every perversion, you, all you've got to do is just look at it and say, well, why are you, why are you doing that? Why, why, do you, why do you want to have commonality? Why do you want to have a common purse? Why do you want to have a common identification? What is it that's driving this desire to form a family? Why are gangs like families? Why are mafia rackets run like families? Why are, well, most of them are families. Why are... Um, but you go to the gangs. Why do they? Why do they deal with it? Becomes a substitute family, a counterfeit family. You know why? Why are the the homosexuals all wrapped up in wanting to have their version of marriage? Why do they want to do adoption and they want to do? I mean, what's driving the idea to try to have a version of what God designed while denying that there is a God that He designed such a thing? And so. Uh, yeah, we see it here. It is useless, I like this, to spread the beta net in the side of any bird. You know, if, 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 you, uh, <laughs> if you set your trap in full view of the mouse, right? If the mouse is there watching while you set the trap up and lay the cheese on there and cock the spring, and then if you're sitting right there, you know, the mouse isn't stupid. He sees what you're doing. Or the bird you got to do it when they're not looking. <laughs> okay? you got to do it when they're not looking. And that's the point. Every fool knows that. You can't set the trap while they're sitting there looking at it. And yet, this is what Satan's doing in trying to lure people who should know better. If you're walking in wisdom, then you're sitting right there looking at it, saying, I don't want to be in that trap. Right? This is the whole point. Is that that trap cannot trap you if you're dressed in wisdom, if you're living in the Word of God. It's not even a temptation at that point because you see it for a trap. The, the seductress, the, the woman with the, the honey lips, and, the, and the, the, we'll, we'll read about her, right? It drips from her lips and it's enticing. Well, if, you're, if you are embracing God's provision, then that counterfeit is not enticing. You see it for what it is. It's useless to spread the beta net in the sight of any bird. That's the point, I think, of this, uh, of this picture. Point five, or E, some point E. Their ambush is a self-ambush. Indicated in verse 11 and verse 18. Their ambush is a self-ambush as they have failed to ambush the Word of God in their hearts. The marvelous play on words here with the verb tsafan. The same word where we're commanded to hide the word of God in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. It's the same word used in a negative sense for an ambush. Their ambush is a self-ambush. 
as they have failed to ambush the word of God in their hearts. Go ahead and retranslate Psalm 119, if you will. Uh, Thy word I have ambushed in my heart, <laughs> that I will not sin, that I might not sin against thee. Verse 11 and verse 18 here. The language of ambush. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us soften. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. And we know what this is. This is when you blindside somebody when they don't see it coming and you just uh, catch them by surprise and you wallop them or whatever. You knock them out. You kill them. All right. They don't see it coming. It doesn't matter if you're the toughest boxer that's ever been in the ring. If you don't see the blow coming, it can knock you off your feet. You can be the toughest uh, warrior on the battlefield, but the, the blow you never see coming, you never see coming. You can be cut down from behind. By a by a, a little pipsqueak, <laughs> okay. You're this great big Conan type warrior, and you've got this monster two handed sword, and and everybody in front of you is just terrified of you. And then this uh, you know little midget sneaks up behind you. You never see it coming, and he hamstrings you. Just takes out a dagger, and there goes your hamstring. Never saw that coming, did you? That's an ambush, all right. And this is uh, remarkable because uh, as Proverbs is presenting it here. If you are embracing the right truth, if you're embracing wisdom, then you can't be ambushed. Don't uh, consent to the enticement. Verse 18 as well. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush. There's the term again. They ambush their own souls, their own lives. You know, the, the satanic lie that says, hey, there's no price to pay. There's no consequences. Come on, there's no reason not to. It's all fine. And they don't realize there is a price to pay and the damage you're doing is to your own soul. The damage you're doing is you're reinforcing sin patterns in your mind. You're reinforcing sin patterns in your soul. You're actually developing a taste, developing an appetite for the carnal pleasures that uh, the world offers. And you actually damage your own soul. You build an appetite for their God is their belly. And you end up uh, wanting to feed that beast more and more and more again. They fail to ambush the word of God in their hearts. Job 23, 12, Psalm 119, verse 11, Proverbs 2, 1 and 7. One. Let's look at the Proverbs references first and then we'll go to Job and Psalms. The verb is safan. Safan, T-S-A-P-H-A-N. I'm pretty sure this is the verb that sits underneath the name uh, Zephaniah. I'm pretty sure. The prophet Zephaniah, right? Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Uh, Yahweh, Safan. Might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, but to hide, to treasure, used 31 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, including here, Proverbs 2.1, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you treasure my commandments within you it's not enough to just listen to them to hear them to understand them you must treasure them you must adopt the same value system that david has that david and bathsheba have the parents have to um, the point where the children absorb the truth and they value it on the same basis their parents value it that's hard to do all right, it's not going to happen right off the bat. That's why you got to keep instilling it and keep instilling it and keep instilling it. Exhibit it for them. 
and help them to observe it manifest in their life where they will come to see how it works, where they will come to appreciate its value for its own sake. Okay, And I think this is, this is unique in the human experience. <laughs> this is what makes doctrine, this is what makes uh, the Christian way of life unique because other facets of culture can't do this or it takes a long, long time and maybe just never, ever, ever happens. Okay? Do, do your children value the same music you value? Okay? Do they treasure the, the you know, take, maybe not immediately? Okay? And do we treasure their music? Oh my goodness. Okay? <laughs> the stuff that my daughters listen to. Oh my. Okay? And I say, can we just turn that off? Let me put my gospel quartet CD in the drive and well, all right. My mother's day was Elvis. Elvis was, you know, antichrist as far as grandmother was concerned. But as far as my mother was concerned, Elvis was, was everything. She cried the day that Elvis died. All right. But so think about the, the, the music. Think about um, just any number of things that to try to treasure as your parents treasure um, it's just, it's not going to be the same. You know, there's going to be places, there's going to be events, there's going to be um, whatever. And they're significant to your grandparents, they're significant to your parents, and, and they, they try to share that excitement with you, and you go, eh, okay, all right, I guess that was, that was special to you back in the day. Um, and, and, and the only thing is, and, and, we, because it has no, there is no connection to us in our day and age. There is no specialness to us in our generation. In our, it's a, it's a different culture. It's a different. You see what I'm trying to say? But doctrine is eternal. Doctrine is eternal. Okay. So yeah, there was a time that the sock hop was a big deal. Okay, or the dance hall in Schulenburg, or any of these things. That world is gone. And I'm glad you have those memories and I'm glad that we're special to you and you can reminisce and enjoy that, but we, it's not a shared experience. We never had that same experience that you had. Okay? By the time we reached that age, it just didn't exist anymore. So it's not a shared experience. Okay? Doctrine, however, is a shared experience because it's timeless. It's eternal. I remember sitting with, with my dad in church all those times, and, and, and we have multi-generations here, and they're all learning together. We're growing together. We're living together. We're praying together. We're, we're crying together. Blood, sweat, and tears, all that together. And it's the same doctrine. And it's going to still be the same doctrine when we're gone, and the next generation comes in, and the next generation comes in. And so we can learn to appreciate it. We can learn to treasure it. We can learn to value it to the same degree that, uh, that our parents did, and hopefully even greater, to an even greater degree than our parents did. So, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you realize there's a value to it, then you're going to sacrifice for it. You're going to make the effort to obtain it. You're going to make it a high priority in your life. Proverbs 7, verse 1. 
Again, my son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Is it, is it significant to you? Is it a high priority? Do you treasure it to the point that when you miss it, you go, oh, man, I'm not going to miss the next one. Oh, man, I missed that. Was that last one? Oh, man. All right. Do you treasure it or is it just pick it or leave it? Yeah, nice to have it, but I could do without it. Okay, that's not treasuring it. It's not the apple of your eye. Um, say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call to understand, call understanding your intimate friend. Are you intimate with the Word of God? Do you have the right kind of relationships with the right kind of women so that you are not vulnerable to the wrong kind of relationships with the wrong kind of girls? Okay. Using the metaphor of wisdom as a woman and using the metaphor of the seductress, again, that's this, we're going to get this throughout the whole, the whole uh, these first nine chapters of family wisdom, the first nine chapters of Proverbs. And you can turn it the other way around too. It's not just because it's written from the male perspective, I don't want you ladies to feel left out. Okay? It goes the other direction as well. If you have the right kind of relationship with the right kind of men, that is your fathers, your brothers, you're, you're the right kind of embracing then you're not going to try to find value and significance and meaning with the wrong kind of embracing. All right. Job 23.12. Job 23.12. Oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. Part of his uh, lament, part of his defense, and um, groaning over the fact that he's not able to, uh, he doesn't have access to God's court where he can come and present his case before him and prove how right he is and how wrong God is. Verse 8, behold, I go forward, but he is not there, backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured, here's our term, Safan. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. More than my necessary food. Yeah, I, I'm stunned that so many believers can survive on one meal a week. And they come to church and they're the Sunday-only believers, right? And one meal a week appears to be a, a uh, an appetite that sustains them. I don't think it does. I'm, I'm just shocked. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Are you limiting your earthly food to one meal a week? <laughs> nope, I don't think so. If you're eating three three square meals a day, seven days a week, what's your uh, what's your spiritual appetite like? All right. Well, there's the verb treasure, and it's not uh, an accident that treasuring the word of God is what keeps you in not departing from His commands, not turning to the left or to the right, and all the all the uh, testimony that Job offers here in, in staying on the straight and narrow. All of that without a written canon. 
All that without any Hebrew text, any Bible. Okay, simply the oral communication of the Word of God through the Gentile prophets of his stewardship. Finally, then, of course, we're familiar with Psalm 119. We sing it in our hymns. Whoops. And you'll note this is prophylactic, this is preventative, this will hinder the uh, sin temptations. Like walking in the light, walking by means of the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, occupying with Christ, living in the Word of God, treasuring it in your heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. This is like hear your Father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Whoever this psalmist was clearly was influenced by the Davidic Psalms. was clearly influenced by Proverbs. Uh, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. It's not just that he knows doctrine. He's able to communicate it himself. He's able to fellowship in the things of the Word of God with others. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. So there's the Baith strophe in the uh, Psalm 119 study. Notebooks in the hallway if you want to get more on that. All right. Their ambush is a self-ambush as they have failed to ambush the word of God in their hearts. That's why it's valuable. We've got to instill it in our children, instill it in our children, instill it in our children. What is the, Romans 12, what is the provision against being conformed to this age? It's the Word of God. It's to be transformed through the renewing of your mind. You've got to get doctrine in the soul. Subpoint so F. <laughs> Crime doesn't pay. Well, it does in the earthly term, but at what cost? At what cost? The, the spiritual price you pay, the eternal price you pay, is not worth it. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. There is a gain. Don't deny the reality of the gain. There is a gain. They do gain. They gain by violence. But the cost, the price they pay to achieve that gain, as it takes away the soul, the nephesh of its possessors, like Moses, it says that he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Okay, That is a true verse. God's not lying about it in Hebrews. It's a true verse. There are, sin has pleasure. We're not doing our kids any favors if we tell them that it doesn't. All right? We've got to be real with it. There are pleasures associated with sin. But it's the passing pleasures of sin and it's the pleasures that diminish that get less and less and less because of the perversion where you need more and more and more and the dark the damage is done to your soul in obtaining the wrong pleasures in the wrong way so the passing pleasures of sin what we want to do is teach the realities of those pleasures and what the real pleasures are in obeying the word of god in uh, in 
embracing His provision for our happiness. Those are the pleasures that don't decrease. The pleasures that, that don't diminish. They're not the passing pleasures. They're the eternal pleasures. All right. Crime doesn't pay. <laughs> point five now. Main point five. Verses 20 through 33. Wisdom is a matter of public life. Wisdom is a matter of public life. I think a whole lot of people, talking about the world, the unbelievers out there, uh, they would love for Proverbs chapter 1 to end at verse 19. (laughs) Because verses 20 and following takes the internal wisdom and makes it public. Wisdom shouts in the streets. Wisdom is a matter of public life. It starts with your personal life. It starts with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your personal um, embrace of the Word of God, your personal uh, transformation by the renewing of your mind. Okay? And this is where the world wants you to keep it. Right? That your beliefs, well, those are your beliefs, just keep that to yourself. All right? And maybe that kind of shapes who you are. But don't you dare express that publicly. And don't you dare tell me about it. Leave me alone. Because if that's good for you, what I'm doing is good for me. No, it should be a matter of public life. And this is the nature of it. God has designed, you know, it, it, He's designed individuals. Adam was created first all by Himself. Why? Why didn't God just initially on day one give Adam and Eve, boom, there they are together? No. Or Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, boom, there they are together. Or an entire nation of humanity, boom, there's a whole nation together. Why were these things made in a progression? Individual volition, marriage, family, nations, the four laws of divine establishment. In that order and for that reason, why? Okay, We need to understand that that if we're going to have a stable nation, It's going to come about because of stable families, which are going to come about because of stable marriages, which are going to come about because of stable believers occupying with Christ and living in the Word of God. Keep it step by step, and I think you do better with it. All right. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. It's public. It's not for simply your private convictions, your personal faith understandings. It is a matter of public life, how God has designed for society to operate. As the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. And so it's a matter for the judiciary. It's a matter for the gates. It's a matter for the operation of the city at the head of the noisy streets, that is, in the marketplace, in the commerce so you got the noisy streets representing the marketplace or the commerce. you got the gates expressing the judiciary, the, the legal structure of the society. And God's wisdom applies there too. God's wisdom applies there too. See, it's a matter of public life. What is public decency? What is public morality? <laughs> well, I know what it used to be. But sadly, it's not, it's not what it is anymore. Our culture has lost that. Now matters of ethics are personal and leave yours out of it, okay? And you end up with the perverts running culture. How long, O 
naive ones. Remember them? The pethy? How long, O oh, naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? You're prolonging your pethy beyond your pethy limit. And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. The inmates are running the asylum. The children are in charge. And there's no wisdom anywhere in culture. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. But because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. See, any nation that falls is without excuse because God is nearby and God is knowable. All right? And uh, if His wisdom has been made known and they don't pay attention to it, they pursue their own course, well, they're going to reap what they've sown. They're going to pay the consequences. That's true of a, of, a, of a nation. It's true of a family. It's true of a merit. It's true of an individual. Each step of the way. So you neglected all my counsel and you did not want my reproof. That's why doctrinal teaching is so rare. Who wants that? <laughs> Who wants to study to show themselves approved? Who wants the Word of God to rebuke them? We just want some ear-tickling, fluffy stuff to tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm happy. Tell me that everything's great. Tell me I'm a good person. God loves me, and uh, He's shining on my life because I'm better than the next guy or whatever. Okay. Reproof. Those kind of messages don't... Uh, don't build mega churches. Okay? So verse 26, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. Now he who sits in the heavens laughs, and I find it interesting every time we find an object of his laughter. And here's a place that describes the object of his laughter. Mocking at calamity. Um... Now, we're commanded not to do this, and we shouldn't celebrate, but God does. I think God has the capacity to do so. He, he has the capacity for vengeance. He has the capacity for jealousy in ways that we never can. Um, I don't know that we don't have the capacity to laugh when someone falls. But God here says that He does. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, well, you had it coming and you already had the warnings. Now you, you've, you've sown the wind and now you're reaping the whirlwind. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Well, they didn't seek him before. They hated knowledge because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. They have no interest in doctrine. Why do they want my help? So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. You made use of cosmos wisdom all that time. And so go ahead and call out to cosmos salvation. Because that's what you're going to get. You've, you've been serving your God. Do you expect your God is going to save you? Or... Are you finally going to turn to truth? And are you going to turn to truth whether you get rescued or not? Are you going to turn to truth and at least repent so as to be under truth while you are destroyed as a nation? <laughs> all right. They spurned all my reproof. 
you know, if, 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 uh, if a nation repents, they may still be destroyed. But at least they repented and they can be destroyed in faith. If, uh, if a believer repents, he may still die the sinner to death, but at least he will die the sinner to death with divine viewpoint, walking by faith, and um, not, uh, not with a hardness of heart otherwise all the way to his final dying breath. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. It is a downhill slope. It is a one-way road. All right? There is the, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof, death. Okay? But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So here's the uh, final development here for chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Main point 5, wisdom is a matter of public life. Subpoint A, values are nurtured in the home, but they are manifest on the streets. Values are nurtured in the home, Proverbs 1.8, but they are manifest on the streets. Verses 20 and 21. Values are nurtured in the home, but they are manifest on the streets. You look at the thugs that are running in the streets today, and it doesn't take long. You watch what, what's happening in the streets, and you know what values are being uh, communicated in the home. What are being said, what are being exhibited, what are being instilled. All right. Maybe not in every case. I'm sure there's exceptions to every generalization. All right? There are good parents and there are rebellious children. But speaking in a broad general sense, as a rule, in the uh, biblical homes where the truth is instilled and where it's exhibited, where it's modeled, the behavior reflects that. The public behavior reflects reflects that. And in the chaos venues, whereby the biblical standard is not modeled, it is not taught, it is not lived, where you don't have the uh, one man, the one woman in a lifelong commitment, raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What is the reflection? What is, the, uh, what is the exhibit of that on display? At the head of the noisy streets or at the entrance of the gates of the city. In the commercial venues of, of the marketplace or in the legal venues of the courts. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, family values often get mocked. Why? Well, because... It's not that they're opposed to the idea of values, but their values are the other, on the other side. And they want their values to win the day. All right, again, verse 8, Hear my son, your father's instruction, do not forsake your mother's teaching. It doesn't say, um, hear my son, the values of your society and culture as your educational system instills them in you. 
It's parents that are instructed. Parents are given the divine mandate to raise the next generation, not government. All right? Individual, marriage, family, nation. The four laws of the divine establishment. And, uh, I don't know, in large respect, and this is where the battle is at the moment. This is where the battle is, and the, the state is taking sovereignty over the children. The state is taking sovereignty over the marriages. The state has no... And, and maybe a hundred years ago, the, the uh, churches went wrong by uh, even having a process in place whereby they went and got a marriage license. Going down to the county courthouse and filling out a piece of paper and registering for a marriage license. Why, why are you standing before an earthly judge? Individuals, marriage, family, nations in that order that's the order of precedence the order of design the order of god's operation all right now we've got the twisting here that we're going to deal with and i got seven minutes to do it probably not all right um how long oh naive ones verse 22 Will you love being simple-minded? We got this fool here. There's the there's the love, there's the delight, and then there's the hate. In verse three, uh, verse twenty-two. There's a, there's a trinity here in verse twenty-two. It's kind of fun to look at um, because there's the the, the pethy the naive ones, and then there's the scoffers. That's a different term, but the pethy can become the scoffer. Okay, and then the scoffer becomes the fool. So we see there's a there's a progression here. It's a twisted progression. All right, so there's the pethy, the naive ones, who are supposed to be grounded in wisdom, so they stop being naive. Supposed to grow in that wisdom, and then uh, the scoffers. We want to have no part of the scoffing. Proverbs one, or uh, I'm sorry, Psalm one. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Do not walk in the path of wicked. You're familiar with that. Uh, Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Okay? So ideally, when we are pethy, we need to be grounded in wisdom so we don't end up here with these scoffers and with these fools and with their wickedness. All right. So the pethy, the, the naive ones, the scoffers, and then the fools. And then we have love, Delight and hate. <laughs> there's, a, there's a trinity of verbs for you. Love, delight, and hate. We'll uh, spell this out more next week. Love, delight, hate is a twisted trinity for the scoffing fools who prolong their pethy, their naivete. Love, delight, hate is a twisted trinity for the scoffing fools who prolong their naivete. And it's remarkable. There's a... This is so twisted, but this is, this is the way the world works. This is the nature of any addict. This is the nature of self-destructive behavior. This is the nature of drugs. This is the nature of promiscuity. This is the nature of uh, harmful relationships. Where you go from love to, del- to delight to hate. <laughs> and where all of a sudden, or, or, or the, 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 the alcohol. And you go from love to delight to hate. 
the next morning with a hangover or with drugs and you hate it and you hate it and you hate it and then you you need you need the next one you need the next one okay or that jerk uh relationship that that train wreck of a of a boyfriend ex-boyfriend you go back to him again and again and again you go through the love and the delight and the hate why does it keep getting twisted like that all right almost done well this is probably a good place to stop anyway We'll talk about these three terms for fools. We're going to talk about what happens here when you neglect doctrine. When a culture neglects doctrine. This, this is beyond just an individual. Okay, I think we've got the individual in, in the home still being grounded. Now it's public. Now it's in the streets. Now it's what happens when um, you've got a preponderance of your population that's walking in this darkness. And then you can say, well, your culture is walking in this darkness. Is Austin, Texas right now walking according to God's wisdom? Is it the standard of the Word of God that shapes public policy? No, it has not been for a long, long time. Well, what is the, what is the salt and light influence of believers in our culture? Getting less and less and less with each passing generation. In fact, the more and more often we're told that our values are wrong. Our values are harmful. Our values are inappropriate for public uh, uh, morals for public life. That uh, we can have our personal views, but our personal views are backwards and hateful and homophobic and destructive. In fact, for public life, we are wrong as far as they're concerned. All right. Thank you, Father, for truth. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for the recognition that it starts in the home, but it does have impact at the head of the noisy streets, at the gates. It has impact in our culture. We want to shout in the streets, Father, because your, uh, your wisdom shouts in the streets. It's not quiet. The world tells us to shut up, but your wisdom still shouts. And I pray, Father, that we would stand for your truth, that we would identify that the truth of your word um, provides for uh, the, everything, Father, all things necessary for life and godliness. And that includes our personal life, that includes our marriage life, that includes our family life, that includes our national life. That if we operate our nation according to your principles, we line ourselves up for blessing. We operate our families based on your principles, our families line ourselves up for blessing. We operate our marriages, our individual personal walk, everything, Father, in conformity to your wisdom, will then leave ourselves available for your blessing. And I pray, Father, that we might have and we might come to an understanding of this. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.